Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Nowadays, here in the States, national parks are national perks, or at least they're considered that way. Do you like how that rhymed, Noel? Yeah, like perks, <laughs> like uh, like they're, they're good. Yes, P-E-R-K-S. That's the wordplay, yes. Is there a different perks? I'm sorry, I'm, I need some coffee to get <laughs> perked up because there we go. I'm kind of fading right now. Oh, and you're Ben, by the way. Yes, the rumors are true. Uh, fellow Ridiculous Historians, we hope you have found the podcast you were looking for uh, with our super producer, Casey Pegram. And most importantly, with you, specifically you, we have formed Ridiculous History. Today's episode is about something that I th I think the three of us are all pretty big fans of national parks. Yeah, they're cool. They're so cool. Nat natural splendor mm. in the grass or the, the, the mountain, the stream. Purple Mountain's majesty. All that stuff. Super majest ma majestical. Have you seen uh, Hunt for the Wilder People? I still have not watched it. He says majestical a lot. The kid that was in uh, Deadpool 2. Is he a the kiwi? Fire out of his hand. He is a kiwi, right. um, and he is a delight. Watch that movie if you haven't seen yeah. it. Unrelated. Total non-sequitur. Oh, but worth it. Worth it. Because that also has a lot of natural beauty in the story, right? In Big the time. setting. Yeah, it's about a family that lives out on the in the bush of New Zealand. And, yeah, I, I imagine they have some sort of system over there to designate uh, land to keep people from... You know, messing it up, mucking it about, right? Oh, sure. Even if only because of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and what I always loved about growing up here in the States was this preponderance 
of land wherein you can you can just go camp. You can just go adventuring. I know it's one of our mutual dreams to ride a burrow into the Grand Canyon. We have discussed that multiple <laughs> times now that you mention it. Um, <laughs> the thing is, though, and so I'm, I'm assuming that you are saying you stand squarely in the four national parks camp. Yes, absolutely. And uh, are you a little more divided on this one? Well, after what I've read in today's story, I, I, I maybe have to have one foot in, one foot out. Mm-hmm. Um, because it turns out that national parks could be a real thorn in the side of working Americans throughout history and, well, today. Right, because the national park system was created way back in 1916, August 25th in this country, and we're going to explore how how these became a surprisingly controversial concept to a lot of people. So our story begins today in 1908 when President Theodore Roosevelt established something called the Lake Malheur Reservation in Oregon, and I believe that our friend Casey Pegram has a, a little more insight for us on Lake Malheur. Yeah, so the word Malheur oh. in French um, <laughs> could be uh, considered like an antonym for bonheur, which is happiness, mm-hmm. bonheur. So Malheur kind of means a lot of things depending on the context, but they're all bad. Um, you could say it's a misfortune, a calamity, an ordeal, an accident. Um, so yeah, there you go, Malheur. Lake bad? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, Casey on the case. Indeed. Um, let's just get a few. Let's let's deal with some semantics up front right mm-hmm. here, okay? We, we we talked about national parks. Like, that's what we're talking about. And while the system that created national parks is, is very much the same system that created wilderness refuges mm-hmm. and um, designates, you know, wildlife reserves and things like that, they're not exactly the same, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an important distinction to make because when President Roosevelt established this reservation, it was the 19th of 51 wildlife refuges that were ultimately created by Roosevelt during his tenure. He was just making refuges left and right, you know? Well, he was a bit of an outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. He was indeed, Noel. He but was indeed. My question, though, is uh, can, can, we, can we spell it out for the listeners and for, for my dumbass exactly what the difference is between a, a wildlife refuge, a national park, and a wildlife reserve? Yes, we can, with a little help from Ali Berman writing for Mother Nature Network with the article Parks versus Refuge, What's the Difference? So in this article, which is fantastic and pretty comprehensive, by the way, uh, we learn that there are several different manners in which government land can be set aside for specific purposes. So first, there's the National Park. Everybody knows that idea. Think of Yellowstone, right? And Yellowstone was uh, established way back in 1872. So it's the predecessor to the early 1900s plans laid by Woodrow Wilson with the National Park Service. Then there are also state parks, which are like national parks, but they're under, you know, the management of an individual state. Then there are national forests, which are also different. And the difference here comes in terms of the level of conservation. So national parks have preservation at the forefront, 
of their priorities. National forests have a larger array of activities like cutting down trees for timber, cattle grazing, which will come into play later, and mining. National preserves are open to the public, and the difference is that preserves typically allow activities like hunting, trapping, or mining. And then, of course, there are national monuments, things like Statue of Liberty, Mount St. Helens, uh, national recreation areas. State preserves, state nature preserves, make environmental preservation a top priority. For instance, Indiana calls its state preserves living museums. So these are protected for scientific research and educational resources. That means that human activities are much more regulated. But the reason that Teddy Roosevelt swooped in to designate the uh, the Malheur uh, Wildlife Reserve was because of ladies' fancy hats. Yes. Did you know that? Yes, it's absolutely true. I'm sure true. it could be men's fancy. I'm sorry. Any fancy hats in general. Because at the time, which was the 19, early 1900s, um, they were quite in fashion. Uh, these hats, these fancy hats mm-hmm. of all shapes and sizes. But an important feature was the plume. Right. Yes. You see, milliners, which is our word for today, people who make fancy hats specifically for women, uh, we're always searching for feathers to put in this headgear. And the search for birds to supply these feathers was quite a profitable industry, right? So in uh, the increasingly desperate efforts to satisfy this wild demand for fancy hats, people had nearly wiped out several species of birds that supplied these fetching colorful plumes, including birds like snowy egrets and roseate spoonbills. Ah, the spoonbill. (laughs) Also, the great egret, I believe, was also very much in danger. And it was this guy named William L. Finley, who was a conservationist of the time, um, who had particularly hung out around that area and taken a survey. And he discovered only two egrets in a month's time. And here's the thing. There's another article I saw. Do you know who Audubon is uh, mm. the, you know, of the Audubon Society? And yeah, he's yeah. a painter. Right, John James Audubon. That's right, Ben. The, the great American painter of birds who lived from the late 1700s to the late 1800s. And he was quoting in his day um, as, you know, he would go out and paint these birds from real life. Mm-hmm. And he would say that he had no doubt in his mind that any amount of progress that America could possibly make, including building cities, increasing population, hunting, what have you, that there were just so many of these damn birds Mm -hmm. that there was never going to be any threat. Obviously, he wasn't a scientist, and he was completely wrong. Right, because we know that that U.S. civilization was also incorrect about the passenger pigeon, which used to blacken the skies as they flew overhead, and they don't do it anymore because they are extinct. So back, back to Finley here. You can see how this is a a splash of cold water. So Audubon dies in 1851, and beforehand he makes this comment about the plenitude of these beautiful birds. Finley, in that search you mentioned, Noel, uh, Finley is searching in 1908 and only sees those two egrets during a full month. But he also does something else. He does a little bit of investigative journalism. He interviews a plume hunter, one of the people who supplies these feathers to milliners, and he learns that a 
good plume hunter on a good day can make $500 cash in 1908 dollars. Now, could you do us a favor and whip out the inflation calculator for that? I can. In fact, I don't even have to because PacificStandard.com did it for us in their article, The Odd History of Opposition to America's National Parks. And according to them, $500 per day in those days translates to more than $12,000 in today's uh, cash. Which would be 2015. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, 2015. Let's just be real obvious here. He's not just going around plucking feathers. He's, he's killing the birds and they're skinning them and taking their carcasses home. Right. And enti- and wiping out entire populations. Uh, and, and he boasted, this guy, um, that he was going to take that all the way to Mexico um, and just hunt them like a, like a murderous criminal across the West. Um, so, yeah, it was this report when delivered to Roosevelt that shocked Roosevelt into action. And he, he wanted to help out these birds, these three birds that were left. There were other species, I'm sure, but sure, yeah. and and of course there were probably other birds that he had not been able to find during that month of searching. But still, the problem is apparent. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring, with access to over six million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Oh, 
right? It's- oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So Roosevelt sets the land aside that same year, 1908. He works fast, right? And for a while, this seemed to be a workable solution. The population was beginning to recover, the population of birds, that is. Uh, But by 1920, things started to go wrong because there was still agriculture happening around the area, right? They're taking resources that are in this area and they're sucking them out the same way Daniel Day-Lewis Uh, in There Will Be Blood says, I drink your milkshake. Farmers in nearby areas are draining water from the rivers that feed into Lake Malheur, uh, the Sylvies and Blitzen rivers specifically. And this means that the lake begins drying up. And and what happens as a result of that? Uh, The lake goes, well, yeah, it turns into a dust bowl, right? Yeah, it becomes a terrible place for these birds, it becomes alkaline. Right. And what does that mean exactly? Does that have to do with like the balance of the nutrients in the water? Or I mean, if if, the, if it's dried up entirely, that's one thing. But isn't alkaline kind of that's what happens before it dries up entirely, I believe? Yeah, it, it's the, the pH scale goes off. So an alkaline lake, also known as a soda lake, has a, a pH value of between 9 and 12. One extreme example of this, there's an excellent Smithsonian article I found about an alkaline lake in Africa, and this article was written in 2013 by a guy named Joseph Stromberg. Uh, It's got some scary pictures. He's looking at Tanzania's Lake Natron, and the title is, This Alkaline African Lake Turns Animals into Stone. Ben, that's the article I've been looking for this whole time. I actually <laughs> thought that this lake, Malur, was that one. But no, you got to see these pictures, folks. They are outrageous. Stuff of nightmares. Horrifying. We'll post them yeah. on, on Ridiculous Historians. So, so bad things. Bad things. And, and that's, you know, per our previous Casey on the Case right. uh, foreshadowing, the lake is basically called Bad Lake, and bad things happen. This group of people in Oregon starts thinking, why don't we 
just get rid of this whole thing entirely. Who needs a lake? Just call it off. It's a. It's just. A, it's become a dirt hole. Let's yeah. make use of it. Let's sell it to farmers. They're good at dirt. Yeah, they need it. They right. require, it's literally a prerequisite for being a farmer. You got to have some dirt. But they knew people might already be against this. You know, early environmentalists and conservationists. So they did a little bit of marketing, right, to try to really sell the idea. Yeah, they really did. They agreed that the proceeds would go to benefit, oh, public works and schools, Mm -hmm. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in this article from PS Mag, there's a fantastic ad from of the day that's posted uh, in a tweet from Danielle Brigida, who works for the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. And it's a picture of, I'm assuming, one of these spoon bills because it has a very spoon-like bill and a (laughs) baby, arms outstretched as though they were both posed in front of like what looks like a floppy gray cloth backdrop. And the birds in profile looking a bit threatening toward it the child. It looks like it's going to eat the child, and it is every bit as big as the child. And the headline is... Which is best for Oregon, this baby or this bird? Ooh, that's tough. Uh, and then the bottom says, vote for the baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 317 times no. So yeah, this bill was basically fighting against the people that were trying to mm-hmm. keep this thing going despite the the bad conditions. And we should read a little bit of the copy here just so you can see how ardently they were endeavoring to phrase this as birds versus babies. Uh, right, right under the headlines that we read to you, there's another headline that says, the Mallard Bird Reserve, oh, I'll do transatlantic voice, would take from Oregon 47,000 acres of its most valuable school lands. So wait, 47,000 acres of school lands? Yeah, that's that's the hook. It's giving them a cause, right? Yeah. Because who do you think would win in a fight between a bird and a baby? A bird. Yeah, I think so too. It depends on the size of the bird. But looking at this bird and this baby, clearly the bird has got... No question about it, especially yeah. the, that giant spoon bill, which is the size of the baby's entire head. Yeah, it would spoon the, spoon the kid's head right off. But the thing about this was that they also added concerns about another naturally occurring life form in wetlands, mosquitoes. And in this complaint, they talk about the dangers mosquitoes might pose to Oregonians. And not to mention the fact that these uh, these birds were apparently actually stealing grain from the farmers Mm-hmm. who could potentially benefit from the land, right? And that's a big sticking point in all of this kind of national park, wildlife refuge argument, at least when it comes to certain parts of the country right. where folks could really benefit from those lands. Right. We here in the city, we, hear, we think about a national park, we're like, cool, that's awesome, save the egrets or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're a farmer and you need somewhere to graze your cattle and Uncle Sam has swooped in and taken a huge swath of land... Mm-hmm might have a different tune to play. Yeah, and I want to spend some more time on this uh, mosquito threat uh, as well because we, again, have the benefit of being in the modern age, so it may seem like an exploitative or manipulative point, but the truth is that the complaints about mosquitoes are less about them being annoying and more about incredibly dangerous diseases from the time, like malaria. So I think that is also a valid point and that that's another aspect of this incredibly valid or at least understandable argument uh, wherein somebody in a rural population by a national park or by a reserve or by some sort of refuge may be saying, I feel as though you are putting the lives of animals 
over the lives of myself, my community, and my family. That's right, because malaria was still kind of a problem oh, yeah. in, in that area. Apparently, it had wiped out a lot of the indigenous people early on in the 1830s. But yeah, it still had stuck around. And if you've got a breeding ground for mosquitoes, malarial mosquitoes, no less, yeah. that's a real problem and a pretty good selling point for this, uh, this campaign. So uh, what happened next? They did one of the most American things you can do. They took it to court, baby. He defeated it. I mean, it, did, it went away, right? Uh, well, the state said that the feds had stolen it. They said, more or less, Uncle Sam stole this land. They didn't have President Roosevelt as commander-in-chief and as the leader of the executive branch never really had the right to call the shots for this land in the first place and went all the way to the Supreme Court. It kind of reminds me of that story we talked about with your pops about Franklin. Oh, yeah. Uh, There was just like a bunch of land that they just kind of took it upon themselves to do something with. There was once a time where that was a thing. Yes. Yeah. And this happens not so not so far after it. So by 1935, the Supreme Court, having considered the issue, uh, air quotes, considered the issue. Uh Right. Uh, They they adjudicated. Reached, there we go. Yes. They ruled in favor of the federal government. And they said that this land does, in fact, belong to the feds. This refuge, this reserve is legitimate. And Uncle Sam had the authority to protect the wetlands from people, even if, you know, it endangered the livelihood of those same people. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, Bonnevilles. Yeah. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, 
a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now. Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. So you may be wondering, friends and neighbors, uh, where, where this story goes. How does it end? It feels like you might be thinking that Noel and I did a little bit of a, an abrupt cut. Uh, but we're not ending the story. We're moving ahead because this argument that occurred way back in 1920 resonates today and remains important today. We see many similar arguments, as a matter of fact, happening as recently as what, Noel, 2016? Yeah, that's right. What are we talking about? The, uh, the, the militant uh, takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge? Is this what we're talking about? Yes, yes, yeah. all in one. So, so could you tell us just a little bit about this and how it transpired? Yeah, well, I mean, the, there was a, a group of armed militiamen, um, mm -hmm. the, the Bundy family and their followers, uh, mm -hmm. headed up by a guy named Eamon Bundy. Yes, Eamon Bundy, not to be confused with Solomon Grundy, though they just rhyme. Or Ted Bundy. Or Ted, definitely not to be confused with uh, Ted Bundy. Or or Al Bundy. Um, you know what? I'll allow it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Eamon Bundy uh, participated in something in 2014 called the Bundy Standoff at his father's ranch in Nevada. This, this was a very controversial and sensitive topic because uh, other members of his group, the one that you had mentioned, Noel, this, this uh, Bundy group, were loosely affiliated with militias and something called the Sovereign Citizen Movement. So without getting too far into the Bundy standoff, we, we wanted to give you just some, some background on this guy. Uh, he is 
an American car fleet manager, and his his father was a rancher named Cliven Bundy, uh, and his father was a leader of this 2014 Bundy standoff in which Eamon took part. And their problem was that they were refusing to pay grazing fees for taking their livestock on federally owned public land. And they said, well, it's public land. We're just trying to make a living, right? Why are you putting this land over the livelihood of human beings? And it's that same argument. Uncle yeah. Sam stole it. Right. This argument from 1920 still thematically applied in 2014. But uh, before we get to 2016, uh, there, there are some things that led up to the 2014 Bundy standoff there in Nevada, right? Well, yeah, it was sort of a bit of a, of a domino effect situation. So a guy named Dwight Hammond Jr. and his son, Stephen Hammond, um, were actually sentenced to pretty significant uh, jail time. I believe they both were sentenced to five years. Um, and that is because they set wildfires on this protected land. Ooh. Well, you don't set wildfires, I guess. But they set fires on this right. protected land to prevent wildfires from damaging their, you know, you, you burn things to keep things from burning, which right. seems weird, but it, no, it happens, to, right? To make a break where there's no combustible material, yeah, or relatively little. Yeah, they set one fire in 2001 and one in 2006, and then in 2012, they were both charged in relation to these fires. And I believe, you know, the way they said it was that... Um, one of them got out of hand, but according to an article on CNN, Bundy, um, who did the standoff, who was you know the one of the guys who was the leader of the of the militia group that you know overtook the refuge headquarters, which apparently, by all accounts, was completely uninhabited and the doors were open, and this standoff was like not really much of a standoff at all, and he never really led on to exactly how many people he had there. And it was kind of a whole lot of sound and fury, signifying not a whole lot. But their arguments were that the government should give up control Ooh. of this refuge so that hardworking, you know, ranchers and farmers can do what they need to do, whether it be graze their cattle or, you know, mitigate these wildfires in order to make a living. So it's that same argument of like, this is more of a problem than it is a benefit. So concurrently, while they're going through the legal issues with this, the Hammonds, the Bundys are having their 2014 standoff. In 2015, U.S. courts vacate the charges against Stephen and Dwight Hammond, and this has already attracted the Bundy family to their cause. And the the idea is that when when the court vacated these sentences, they didn't just let them out; they resentenced them pretty much immediately to a mandatory minimum of five years in prison. Yep. And the Bundys said, "You know what? We're going to protest this." And the Hammonds said, apparently. Guys, we don't really need it's your okay. help. Yeah. A lot of people apparently said that. I mean, it was it kind of had the look of that the Bundys were overreaching a little bit and kind of doing something that maybe no one quite asked them to do because there's this great Vice documentary where yeah. they go to a town hall and a lot of the folks, the the ranchers, the community is like, these guys are jerks. Like, they're making us look bad and they're making us look like a bunch of militant whack jobs and mm. that's not cool. It's not a good look. So I, it, it did seem like their gesture was not appreciated by all, let's say that. Absolutely. So we know that the Bundys were big fans of armed standoffs. Right, right. And they were 
they saw themselves on the right side of history. Is too. it a standoff, though, if you do it at your own ranch? Like, who, who was after them at their own ranch? I'm confused about that one. Yeah, as well, right? Uh, but in 2016, this group of armed militants seeking to, um, I guess, bring more attention to the Hammond case, they seized the headquarters of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge there in Harney County, Oregon, and they occupy it until law enforcement finally arrests everybody on February 11th, 2016. Their leader, Eamon Bundy, not to be confused with anyone but Al. <laughs> and uh, their motivation for this was, again, to bring more attention to that same old argument from the 1920s. They wanted to uh, persuade the public to side with them in the idea that the United States Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management and other similar organizations are constitutionally required to turn over federal public land to individual states. So no federal parks, no federal reserves, only state level stuff. Got it. So does that are we, did it really accomplish anything? Is that was that was that a positive step? Because I mean the the guys that set the fires originally were pardoned by by uh, President T. Rump recently too. So does that mean that the current administration is more um, sympathetic to the needs of these farmers and more likely to maybe get rid of some of these refuges? It's kind I mean, of seemed that way. That's an interesting that's an interesting question too. No, I mean there's always been some degree of tension between the federal level of governance and the state level of governance. You know what I mean? Uh, for instance, well, we've already done several episodes where we learned that a handful of states were completely okay being their own countries for a while. Yep. Right? So as of today, this argument continues, and we have to ask ourselves, what is the solution, if indeed a solution exists? Mm -hmm. You know, are we, are we to put ourselves in a situation where the quality of life for human beings is sacrificed for the sake of biodiversity? Are we to put ourselves in a situation where we sacrifice biodiversity and wildlife or natural ecosystems mm -hmm. for, for people's livelihoods? Well, then obviously it's got to be somewhere perfectly in the middle. Right, right, right. You got any ideas? <clears throat> if so, we would like to hear them. <laughs> <laughs> so write to us uh, directly. We are ridiculous at HowStuffWorks.com. And we know this was kind of a circuitous, weird one, but I thought it was fun. Do a little backstory, bring it full circle to the now. And I think you did a really good job, man, by the way, especially considering your bird thing. Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, I, I had to hold it till the very end. Uh, but... If you would like to learn more about this, if you would like to see some of those insane pictures of animals from the alkaline lake. I almost looked at those, dude. <laughs> it's like I shed my bird fear just for this episode. And then you reminded me and it all came flooding back and like a, like a murder of crows. Flapping back. <laughs> Flying back. I'm going to need you to finish this one. Again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you can see those pictures on our community page. Uh, ridiculous historians you can find us on instagram you can find us on twitter and you can check out our website for every single show we have ever done we don't tweet do we but we, we're you and i spend more time on the instagram and the facebook page that's true we need to we need to get a little more personal with that instagram though i looked yeah. at it the other day and it was kind of a sad sight 
let us know what you would like to see on the Instagram and we will we will pop in there yeah. ourselves we'll oblige. and get a little bit ridiculous with it. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, our website is ridiculoushistoryshow.com. That's right. And we'd also like to, you know what, let's end on a positive note, Noel. What's your favorite national park? If you're not in the States, uh, what's does your country have an equivalent? Yeah, let us know. Um, and we'd also, of course, like to thank super producer Casey Pegram, Alex Williams, who composed our theme. I'd like to thank you, Ben. And thank you, Noel. For waiting till the end to mention the fact that this episode was about birds. Caca, bro, caca. And um, yeah, <laughs> most importantly, thank you guys for listening and tuning in. And join us next time when we talk about something else. That's right, Noel. Tune in for our next episode when we explore the surprising origins of Oregon. See you then, folks. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This message comes from Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship. With thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.